It's chaos. It's a different type of Sunday scary. It's your newest obsession. It's Dirty Driving, a Formula One podcast. We're the Hornsby sisters. I'm Katie. And I'm Megan. Hello, everyone. Hello. Well, 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 here we are just a couple of days away before the second half of the F1 2022 season starts. And my gosh, have Megan and I been struggling to make it through the summer break? I have pretty much figured out every possible way to still watch as much F1 as possible without having any new F1. I took it upon myself to watch some of Sebastian Vettel. Yep, rocking the racing thread shirt today. Some of his old races, because really I'm just not mentally prepared for what happens when he is no longer on the grid. Yeah, I was thinking about Kimmy earlier today because I was actually thinking about who could be the next Kimmy, like who's just going to stick around and race for years and years. And like part of me wants to say that it's Charles Leclerc. I can get into that more later. But Kimmy is, I saw from, I still follow his wife, Mintu, on Instagram. And they're at the NASCAR race this weekend. He's competing. Right, yeah. Well, that's (laughs) what I mean. He's competing. But it's this weekend. I forgot that it was this weekend. Yeah, I know. I'm like, we have got to record this episode so that I can immediately turn around and put NASCAR on, which I did tell someone when they asked me what my weekend plans were. I was going to watch NASCAR and I think their jaw hit the ground. And I was like, Kimmy's Kimmy Raikkonen's racing. F1 legend. Duh. Duh. Don't you know it? <laughs> we also have IndyCar, which is back in our hometown, St. Louis. I'm a little bit sad I wasn't able to make it happen this weekend to go home. But I'm seeing some pictures. Um, someone, an undisclosed friend of mine, mentioned, texted me last night and said, there are so many IndyCar drivers on Tinder and Bumble and Hinge. And I just, I just, I like literally, I opened the text. I read the text. I closed the text. I put the phone down and I rolled over and went to bed. I was like, and we're done. And we are going back to bed because we don't even need to get invested in Hinge, Bumble, Tinder. We don't. I'm going to say we don't need to. (laughs) No, we don't need to. But it's so funny that they descend on St. Louis and then everybody is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who are all these? (laughs) But they're all IndyCar guys. I think it's hilarious. That's how you know that motorsports in town. You just need to check your Bumble, your Tinder, and your Hinge. No need to ever look at a schedule. And one of our friends from our watching parties in St. Louis actually ran. I'm not. I didn't recognize who the IndyCar driver was. I apologize. But he ran into one of the IndyCar drivers, put a selfie up on his story. So I think it's just. Word to the wise that if you have the opportunity to attend a NASCAR race or an IndyCar race in your hometown or hell, a Formula One race, you might as well because you never know who you're going to run into in your town or the town you're visiting. Got to stay be knowing your drivers. (laughs) Before we jump into all the drama that's been taking place this season and talk about the teams and the drivers, their highs, their lows, the good, the bad, the ugly, all the things. 
Let's have a quick reminder about the 2022 changes that took place going into this season. First, we'll let's talk about the rules. So we had a change in the number of points that are awarded once the sprint race is completed. So the winner now takes home eight points every sprint race. The Q2 tire rule is now gone, so drivers can decide what tire they are starting the race on. We've also had a change in how the progression of the safety car works and how cars are able to unlap themselves thanks to Abu Dhabi 2021. And finally, we have increased the number of races that are allowed in a year starting next year. There can be up to 24 races in a season from the number 23. And unfortunately, this year we were at 23. We lost one. We lost Sochi. It was canceled. We're not getting a replacement. So lucky number 22 in 22. There we go. We have 22. (laughs) Honestly, I am. I truly fault whoever put together the schedule for not just leaving it at 22 and 22. Like, I'm sorry. That was a missed yeah, moment. F1, you missed it. You missed it. You should have called Taylor. Could have had a hashtag and everything. 22 and 22. Nope. They lost it. They just really, there goes the marketing moment. And <laughs> the marketing department is pissed. <laughs> Additionally, we had new cars this year. And let me tell you, the livery reveals were very exciting. We all know that the Aston Martin was by far the sexiest off track by far not pretty not very sexy on track at least on Saturdays it's not but these new cars really brought in a slew of conversations about development and upgrades which has dominated this season we have had a massive change in powerhouses it's very clear that leading the at the beginning of the season it was Ferrari versus Red Bull we had a Mercedes that was on the fritz they couldn't get it under control we knew that they were experimenting with Lewis Hamilton's car in the last two races we've just been given this glimmer of you know now it's a three car or a three team race six car race you know numbers are hard we also had a green Red Bull a white Ferrari these moments of just truly pure internet drama about development have been incredible. The biggest conversation that's taken place this year outside of, you know, the the typical just overarching upgrade and development conversation has been about porpoising. No, that's not a sea creature. If you've missed out, I don't know how you can be an F1 fan and not know that term now, but porpoising has really dominated the conversation this year with the unexpected bouncing with the sudden loss and then gaining of downforce repeatedly as the drivers look like they're at a rock concert bouncing along like a porpoise. I just don't think that porpoise is the right word. I think it's more like a bouncy ball, but no one asked me to name the phenomenon. We do have some changes that we're going to talk about at the end of this episode that are going to hopefully reduce the porpoising that we're seeing for the rest of the year and into next year. We had some new faces on the grid this year, one driver and one team principal. Guan Yu Zhao, the first Chinese driver in Formula One, entered. It is his rookie season. Again, we're going to talk more about how that's going and what our preseason predictions have now turned into. 
And then we had Mike Crack join Aston Martin as well, which caused a little kerfuffle that Megan can talk about when she gets to the faces that took new places. So I made this list and I just realized as I'm looking at it, I forgot that K-Mag wasn't supposed to be here. So K-Mag is an, is an old face in a new place. That whole Nikita Mazepin being fired, being replaced by K-Mag, we now think the last thing I had heard about it was that Nikita was actually going to sue Haas. He started his own racing thing. I don't know. That's a whole different situation. But yeah, I can't believe I forgot K-Mag is an old face in a new place. Back with his boy Gunther. <laughs> Back with his BFF, you know, fuck smash my door. <laughs> <laughs> we also like the amount of changes that I've forgotten. The list goes on and on. Forgot about Otmar to Alpine. That happened. Now we don't know what Alpine's up to. They're losing people like wild. We got Oscar Piastri ditching. We got Fernando Alonso running for the hills, a.k.a. Aston Martin, into the arms of Lance or Lawrence Stroll. In the arms of Lawrence. We also had George Russell go to Mercedes. We had Albon's return to Williams since George had an open spot. Latifi stuck around. We had Valtteri Botas head to Alpha. And I am going to apologize profusely to Valtteri Botas later. So stay tuned for that because I definitely got a prediction wrong there. And I need to personally apologize to one of my favorite people now on the grid. Okay, Megan, let's dive in to the drivers, the teams, and all the jazz that has happened thus far. Before we get started, we just want to warn you guys about how we're going to do this. So we're walking through the grid in championship standing order, starting at the back of the grid. So starting with Williams, we'll end with Red Bull. And this is our chance to talk about, again, what has been going right, what has been going wrong, our favorite moments. We'll have some discussion pieces for each driver and each team. And we're just going to see where this takes us. Megan and I have copious amounts of notes, and we are ready to dive in. And Megan, I'll let you kick us off. You, the only thing we also need to add to this is that we're putting a timer on it. So each team only gets four minutes where we can chat about anything there's, you know, about the drivers, overall performance, about the team's overall performances. But I think the biggest thing is that we're going to keep it short and sweet for each team because there is quite a lot we need to get to for each team. So with that, I'm going to start the timer. Be prepared for when it goes off because it will go off if we go over. I'll try to stop it so it doesn't hurt your ears. My bad. <laughs> and with that, let's get into Williams. Okay. Williams is at the back of the grid in 10th place. They only have three points. Three. All, All thanks of them. to Alex Albon. <laughs> Who the fans voted as the number one in the Dirty Driving fan poll. So let's get into it real quickly here. I think the biggest thing we need to talk about for Williams, full stop, is that Alex Albon is the star in the shitty car to steal a term from Formula Interested Americans. 
the star in the shitty car. And he's honestly been proving it. Ever since he dyed his hair red, I have seen work come out of him and that vehicle. And I'm proud of him. Highest starting grade position in 11th, highest race result, 10th. Signed a multi-year contract to stay with Williams. It's looking like a the good... The only issue... The only issue that Alex has going for him is that this year he has tied with Yuki for the most on-track offenses. He has eight total offenses. Yuki has the same number. So I think that would be his only, like, oog moment. Oog. As opposed to his teammate, Nicholas Latifi, who, again, I, I've said it. I'll say it again. Without Mazepin being the shit bottom of the barrel driver and without the shadow of George Russell to like hide him in it is very clear that he does not have the 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 it factor that a formula 1 driver needs to be successful however i will say that his greatest moment this year was at the british grand prix where he made it into q3 like say what that was the most shocking thing I've ever woken up to. I go on Instagram first thing when I wake up. Sorry, it's where I get all my Formula One news. And I'm seeing pictures of Nicholas Latifi on a goat. On a goat. Not allowed. Not allowed ever again. Even if he does make it to Q3. Even if he wins a race, you cannot... Photoshop Nicholas Latifi onto a goat. I don't, the meme is fine, but him on a goat physically is ridiculous. I do really want F1 marketing to just let us know how long it took them to find a photo of him to use. That would be nice because they definitely don't have it ready to go. Hell no. They had to go deep in the archives for that bitch. Megan, one thing that I have to point out about Williams and Alex Albon, I'm switching back to the better driver because I'd rather talk about him. I don't know if you recall this. I'm sure you do. I didn't until I re-remembered. But the man went on one set of tires the whole entire race in Australia before taking the last lap to pit for new tires. And I just feel like that is the shining star moment for Williams this year. And Alex Albon. Definitely think so. I think his points points appearance has been a shining moment for them. Unfortunately, I'm just really pissed at Williams because it is Nicholas Latifi's and his lack of points that is preventing me for my prediction coming true that every driver would score points. And that is just rather annoying. Katie, we have 20 seconds left. Any last words for Williams? Let's just tell them what their grades are because we've given every driver a grade. So I'm going to go with technically Alex Albon should have a C, but I'm giving him a B because he's been putting that shit box of a car into the points. And then I'm giving Nicholas Latifi an F. Full stop. Concur or not concur? I concur. Perfect. All right. And that's four minutes, like right Woo! on the dot. I'm really impressed with us on that. That nice will be the easiest job. one to get in four minutes, I think. Yeah, I think the top three we may need to we'll see. Maybe I'll bump them get. up to six. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> and next up we have Aston Martin, and the time starts now. 
Okay, Aston Martin. They came out with the livery. They came out with the new car. We thought it was going to be a shining year for them. And honestly, I kind of forget they're on the grid. Other than the whole Sebastian Vettel drama with the retirement announcement, I kind of forget Lance Strolls is there, to be honest. He gets so little TV coverage unless he's crashing. Unless he's fucked up, he gets no coverage. There's n- or someone's passing him. Yeah. When I really think about it, when I really think about it, it just isn't there. We have to start this whole conversation off, though, with Sebastian Vettel for a couple of reasons. I think, one, the fans voted him. We agree. Obviously, we concur with that. Second thing we need to talk about is... The fact that Seb has had some of the best moments this year, even though he missed the first two races. Like when I think about some of the great highlights of the year in terms of comedy, they include Sebastian, like most of them include Seb and he missed the first two races because he had COVID. So we have Scooter Seb. We have him driving Nigel Mansell's car at the British Grand Prix. We just have Seb generally being an icon on the grid. I would agree. I feel like he is taking every moment, every of his last moments and making the best of them. And I feel like he's walked into this season of just like, I don't give a shit. I'm balls to the walls doing whatever the fuck I want to, whether that's, you know, Proving us, proving to us time after time that he knows what he's doing out on track or if he's just goofing off. Like, props to the man. I hope you win. I hope we can get him on a podium before the end of the season. I hope so. And I'm still, I fully believe that if both titles are decided before Abu Dhabi, I think everybody just lets Seb through so we can have one last victory just for the giggles and the donuts at the end. Nonetheless, his best Finishing position this year has been P6 in Baku. Um, That has been the highlight. But one thing we do need to talk about with Seb is that he has racked up the most fines of any driver this year, sitting at 35,900 euros. The largest chunk of that came from the 25,000 euro fine for the driver's meeting incident in Austria. But another huge chunk of that five thousand euros came from when he decided to go on a scooter joyride on his first week and i'm laughing his first week and back of the year in australia unfortunately we gotta go to stroll now real quick we gotta talk about i am giving him a c for the year what do you think katie you're giving him a c correct yes or c minus um you know my gut wants to give him a d but he has been in the Points four times. He's taken 10th in Imola, Miami, Canada, and France. So he's getting something out of the car. He's only had one DNF in Baku. And honestly, I truly think he is flying under the radar this year. I just, we don't get a lot about him. I don't know a lot about him. And the one article that I read is that he's just simply still uncomfortable in this new formula car. I think the car is the biggest issue. It's very clear that the car does not have the single lap speed. You can see that compare it. When you look at Saturday, this is four minutes, by the way, but I'm going to finish my statement. 
you can see that on Saturday they struggle in qualifying to find single lap pace, but they do have the race pace or the race craft or the race strategy. You know, Sebastian Vettel's average grid position is 14.5. His average race result is 10.4. He has personally gone out six times in Q1. Then you look at Stroll. His average grid position is 16, but his average race result is 12. So it's clear that they can't find the results on qualifying, but they can find success on a Sunday comparatively. So if they can figure out what to do on a Saturday, they'll be in the midfield, strongly in the midfield, as opposed to being a back marker, which is where Katie and I have put them. Ooh, another one done. Okay. We went a little <laughs> over there, but it's fine. And with that, let's get into AlphaTauri. Katie, take it away. All right. Well, you know who I'm talking about first. I'm talking about my man who has kept us going this season on Instagram. And unfortunately, that is really all he's giving me. We've gotten the whole liked by Pierre Gasly saga of Pierre Gasly must just be here and there liking Instagram posts. But all in all, I'm disappointed in the man. He is not who I once thought he was as my underrated driver, and we'll get into that a little later. But I would say his season highlight is the P5 in Baku. His highest grid position was in sixth. But again, I think I'm just a little overall disappointed in his showing this year. Megan, what do you think? I I, I concur. I think I'm disappointed in both of their showings. Just in general, I'm a little bit disappointed in AlphaTauri. I didn't expect them to be in the bottom three, a.k.a. the back markers is what Katie and I have lumped these three teams together. Definitely not at the level of like Williams struggles, but I just feel like this year has had a lot of blunders and a lot of lack of oomph from the team. Overall, both drivers are sitting at three DNFs. I told you that this year was going to be all about the DNFs. And clearly I think it's just, that that's just a fact a, a factor in it this year, especially because so many of them have been reliability related for most teams. Unfortunately, two of the six for AlphaTauri have been re- reliability. Um, the others have been kind of driver issues, driver errors. It was pretty embarrassing that the two of them came together in Great Britain. That was a, a low for AlphaTauri, I'm going to say. Definitely a ugh moment. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And I I just feel like maybe Yuki's training program that we saw on the lovely Drive to Survive is simply not enough. I feel like you're completely right in saying that AlphaTauri has been disappointing. I expected them to be competing with McLaren, I expected them to be really showing out. We've got Yuki in his second year. We've got the almost always consistent Pierre. And I think maybe the best thing to come out of AlphaTauri this year is the relationship between Pierre and Yuki. Absolutely. I literally gave or we're giving Yuki an F. He's the only person in our power rankings and the dirty driving power rankings that will at some point be unveiled. I don't know. I don't know. I'm nervous about them. He's the only driver that's literally behind Latifi in the ratings right now. And I think a lot of that has to come with his lack of gaining. Like he just loses a lot of positions. And because he qualifies better than Latifi, he just has more petition petitions, more positions to fall. So unfortunately that kind of like skews against him. Full stop. I just think that this year has been pretty disappointing for AlphaTauri and 
they they need to get kind of their drivers in line. They need to get the car in line, but they also need to get, um, I think they need to really take a look to see what they can do to excel. Cause it doesn't look like Pierre Gasly's leaving them anytime soon. No. And Megan, I believe you had an award to give to Yuki. Oh, I totally forgot. I don't know how I could possibly forget this. I am literally giving Yuki the most the most embarrassing moment award for the entire year. I'm sorry. Crashing out of the pit lane in Canada. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. So embarrassing. Yes, I get it. His tires were cold he should have been aware about that he could have had an opportunity to get points that race if I'm not mistaken but it was just it was embarrassing it was really 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 embarrassing and he should be embarrassed about it and And with that our four minutes are done Okay, we are going to take a quick break here because Katie and I have decided to come with a list, a list prepared of the cringiest or the most cringeworthy moments in the 2022 season. I'm laughing because this list, when I started thinking about how cringy some of this stuff was, I got really like out. You know what I mean? You're just like, ooh, that was uncomfortable. These are in no particular order. But we'll just go back and forth to to talk through all of them. Katie, do you want to start? Yeah, I can start. And I actually also just thought of a bonus one. So remind me to say that one at the end. So first one, I rewatched all of the race highlights this week. And this one just like painfully struck out to me as an in-moment cringiest moment of the race. An in-moment race moment. You know what I'm trying to say. The duct tape. The gaffer tape that came out in the middle of a pit stop to tape Yuki's rear weir, w- rear wing back together. And then he was told he couldn't have DRS the rest of the race because <laughs> there's duct tape on it. And he was like, what's going on? Cringiest moment. Cringiest moment. I think it was cringy because Yuki's like, what's happening? <laughs> What's happening? And you just see the guy going with the tape and it gets like, you know how tape gets when the side of it sticks to the other sticky side? It was like that. Like, was that duct tape perfectly laid? No. It was no, not. not at all. It was very, very hastily put on there. I can just imagine like how awkward are you a pit driver or a pit crew and someone's like, get the tape. We're going to tape the thing. And you're just like, wait, I haven't been. I haven't practiced this before. <laughs> Ultimately, just uncomfortable. Okay, second up, and this might be what I think is the cringiest moment of the season, full stop. I don't know. There's another one that I have that could be worse, but truthfully, I think this might be the worst and most uncomfortable. I've been watching a post-race celebration, but I'm sorry. Hungry? Helmet Marco just like shoving Kelly PK out of the way to get to Max Verstappen to congratulate him. It is a very clear who loves Max Verstappen more. It's Senator Palpatine. It's Senator Palpatine. It's Senator Palpatine. In France. In France, yes. 
Oh, yeah. France. I'm sorry. No, you're good. We, I Megan and I went no. digging for it to find it. So it we know it was in France. It also is even more uncomfortable because the second, like after he does it, he realizes what he's done, but then like continues to go forward. <laughs> yeah. And Kelly just like gives him a little pat on his back. Like I saw a comment on the YouTube video that I found, like, We'll put the YouTube video on our story. Everyone can watch it, sure. But I found this YouTube video in another language, and you just see Kelly, like, lightly tap the old man's back was the comment, and I died. Because I'm like, do they know that that old man is Helmet Marco, or do they just think that old man is an old man pushing Kelly PK out of the way? One will Either way, the tapping on the back is weird. I'm surprised he didn't take down Joss. (laughs) It's weird. Let me get to Max. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I've got another one. And this one is one I just came up with. But um, it's interesting that all of our cringiest moments, most of them revolve around Max and Kelly. But Kelly just put out a reel about the summer vacation that the Verstappen fan I went there I'm going there Verstappen family took and I think you know Max and baby Penelope's water wings is cute that's not cringy but Kelly carrying Max in the pool cringy she could have just not put that like save that video for yourself save that video in your archives but you didn't need to put that on social media you just didn't yeah. need to. The rest of the video, adorable, that uncomfortable. What yeah, was there's even a... funnier about it is people started cutting that picture and being like, this is your future world champion. Okay, I didn't go there. Megan went there for that <laughs> one. <laughs> it's funny. Okay, my next one is I am just lumping all of the cringiness of the Miami Grand Prix fever dream weekend into one. And underneath this is underneath this giant category are some sub moments. Let's go through them. First, let's start with the fake Marina. That was cringy as shit. I'm sorry. You, you spent how much on that ticket to sit your boat in a fake Marina. They could have created a real Marina with the amount of money they garnered from ticket sales. Didn't Martin Brundle go fake swimming in the Marina? Was that Martin? Someone went fake swimming in the Marina. I don't remember who it was, but someone went fake swimming. And I thought that was a, that was cringy or the, just the Marina, but the Marina itself and everything surrounding it was uncomfortable. Second up <laughs> was Martin Brundle mistaking Paolo Benchero, who's a professional basketball player, for Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> Patrick. <laughs> and the part of the Miami GP that to me was literally the cringiest thing and might be my cringiest moment of the whole entire year. Whose idea was this? I need to know. I need to know who was responsible. The football helmets instead of <laughs> baseball hats. I'm sorry. A baseball hat is more American than a football helmet. 
That was so okay, bad. I Megan also- and I – no, I'm sorry, Megan, but Megan and I were hosting a watch party with for all of our friends, and at the end, it's been a great race, rah, 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 and then they bring out these football helmets, and I'm like, well, this is embarrassing. <laughs> I also feel like they could have taken down the Dan Marino statue because in all of the podium coverage, there's just the giant Dan Marino statue in the way. I Oh, Katie – I'm sorry. Before the podium celebration, we had the the most American American thing happen. Willie T. Ribs called Charles Chuck Leclerc. <laughs> I'm wheezing. I'm literally wheezing. Chuck Leclerc. His 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 name is. He's got like 15 first names, and you decided to shorten Charles to Chuck. To Chuck. Chuck LeClerc sounds like he should be racing in Talladega Nights against Ricky Bobby. Ricky Bobby. Right? That's his name? Yeah. That took me a minute. Okay. Let's keep going in our cringy moments. Oh, we got two more. We got two more we got to cover. First off, we have Fernando Alonso in his post- race interviews talking about, you know, Max Verstappen in Canada. Fernando Alonso was on the front row and he said, we will attack Max in turn one. We will attack Max in turn one. That is our battle strategy. It was so unnecessarily aggressive. It was so unnecessarily aggressive and just a very uncomfortable statement to make. I have another cringy moment that you're going to be upset with me for bringing up that I just thought of. Okay, go for it. Checo stumbling down the stairs of the of the yacht after Monaco. Yes. Yeah, I brought that one up too. We're just going to leave it at that. I don't want to talk about any of the the press around that incident. No, I don't know. Maybe don't was it him stumbling or was it his flip-flop floating away? <laughs> the flip-flop. I think the flip-flop was worse. Okay, our last moment involves Checo, too, so it's perfect to end on this. One of the last that I can remember cringiest moments, at least that made it to our list, was the video where Max Verstappen is giving Checo his, you know, happy your wife just had a baby gift, and Max just tells him to keep pushing. (laughs) That's so foul. So, so, so foul. It's so funny that so much of this includes Max Verstappen. And really a lot of it involves Red Bull. A lot of it involves Miami and that fever dream of a weekend. All I'm going to say is please, please, whoever is planning the Las Vegas Grand Prix, let's just not be so American. Yeah. Just keep let's it just keep it casual. Let's take it up a notch. Let's maybe tell somebody, the announcers, anybody who's asking questions to not shorten names. If you need a marina, make a marina. Don't have a fake one. That's good. And I swear, if there is a stupid hat on the podium, I'm going to need to, I'm going to have a problem. And if they do football helmets again next year, I literally, Miami Grand Prix, over. Contract terminated terminated we will go and find the paperwork and destroy it if only (laughs) sounds like a james bond mission (laughs) 
Okay, Katie, let's dive back into it. Our next team, number seven, is Haas. And the four minutes start now. Okay, Haas. Here we are in seventh place with, you know, the drama of the preseason. Are we going to have Nikita? Who's going to replace Nikita? We got Kevin. We got K-Mag. We got our man back. I miss K-Mag. I did. He was only gone a season. It felt like he was gone a lot longer than that, but he was only gone one. And he came back and really, like, showed us what he was made of in race one. He took fifth, highest grid finish of the year. And I was expecting a little bit more consistency from him this year. But all in all, I've been pretty impressed, and I'm glad that they chose Kevin to bring back. Oh, I was so pumped that K-Mag was coming back. I didn't realize how much I missed him until, you know, he returned to us. I think... Okay, look, I'm going to skip ahead and then I'm going to come back to this. Okay. So I'm going to say I want to talk more about K-Mag, and, but I want to talk about him and Mick overall. So I'm going to talk about Mick and then we'll come back to K-Mag. So we're going to piecemeal this a little bit. So first thing we need to talk about Mick, he got his first points finish. Um, He's had – I mean, he scored 12 points this year, which I was waiting for. I was hoping it was going to happen in Canada, but he had that DNF because of the power unit failure. Nonetheless, we finally got points in Silverstone, and then we got points again in Australia – or not Australia, Austria. I'm so sorry for that mistake. I definitely think the highlights of the year has been seeing him, like, evolve as a driver. I also think that him moving past what everything that happened in – Saudi Arabia and in Monaco, those two really bad crashes. And then finally being able to get points in Silverstone and Austria has been a giant, like it, it's been, it was up and down for him, but I feel like he's on the upswing now. I don't know if I'm fully convinced that he's going to like continue this upswing. I'm really hoping that he is. I'm really hoping that this is not like kind of like a fluke in the year. I would like to see the consistency continue for him. Okay, now to go back to K-Mag and talk about both of the drivers together. Technically, I think on points, they are Ds. They deserve the grade of a D. However, I've decided to give them a, a – they get bonus points because of how shit the Haas was last year. I know it was a different car, but I'm still going to say, look, they deserve to have Cs because they have – really, really, really improved from last year. I think that has a lot to do with the foresight of Haas to cut development on the 2021 car and focused on 2022. I think it has something to do with the fact that they've really held back and only deployed one upgrade this year. So, you know, for up until Freya, no, up until Hungary, I think France was like a little bit of an upgrade and then Hungary was the full one, if I remember correctly. They were essentially running the same car all the way through Austria that they had brought in practice. So the fact that Mick was able to score points at Silverstone, score points in Austria with the car they had in February is a complete reason why they deserve the the letter grade boost. So I'm giving both of them C's for the year. How much time do we have left on them? Got a minute. Go for it. Okay. Awesome. I want to make one comment about Mick Schumacher. And this is something I actually just recently learned because unfortunately I don't follow F3 and F2 as much as I wish I did. But Mick Schumacher has been known as, and you know, it's often been said that he requires a season in a series to get comfortable. And then 
the second season is when we see the talent and the and the speed really show case. So in 2017, he took 12th in the Euro F3, and the very following year, he became the title champion. And then in 2019, he took 12th in F2, and the very next year, he became the title champion. By no means am I saying that I expected him to win the title championship this year. But I will say that I'm looking to see more from him, and I want to see what the rest of the season has to offer, and I hope that he's got a spot for next year and, you know, for some weird reason we don't lose him um, because I I want him to live up to the name of Schumacher and he's not, he's not there yet. No, but I don't expect him to be there yet. Right. He's also in a Haas. We'll see where he, come on Haas. Give me some more. Give me some more. Really fully let me be a true American team fan. Like, I really want to full send it into full Haas merch, which, by the way, your merch is ugly, so I haven't bought any. So if you need somebody, let us know. Um, But no, come on. They just got to give me a little bit more. A little bit more. Yeah. We're, like, they're the team that's so close to the, like, tip of flipping to the upper weight class. Like, they are so close to just – maxing out and showing us what they really can do given what they have. Being the, they're the last team in our like midfield chunk. They're in seventh, but they're not in the back markers. They're firmly, in my opinion, ahead of AlphaTari and ahead of Aston Martin in performance this year. Fully. No, no shot in the dark. Um, I think we have a lot that we can still see from them. They're at 34 points. Alfa Romeo is at 51 points. I don't think that they're going to probably overtake Alfa Romeo in the you know standings this year. But I definitely think that with the state, like the steps that they're making in terms of performance, I think we could see a team that's like even more firmly in the midfield next year. Hopefully, with um, Mick Schumacher racing for them as well. Unless you go somewhere else, that's better. I don't know. We'll see what happens there. And with that, we get to Alfa Romeo and my apology tour. My apology tour to Valtteri Botas. This is it right here. Mark the time and the place. I am apologizing to, to my man, my Finnish hockey-loving, sauna-loving, naked Finn who enjoys being in ice cold water in Colorado and, and, and looks very sexy in an American bald ego bald eagle button up shirt biking through the biking through the mountains i thought he looked pretty good in it i was like oh the fins are gonna be upset that you're representing america so well (laughs) but nonetheless i am apologizing i really thought this year was gonna be a shit year for alfa romeo i really thought that valtteri was going to take a massive dive in performance not really because of his skill but because of the car and he's really he's he's shown out he stood out he's He's had a really great year and I've loved his battles with George Russell. I loved his tangle with like Lewis at one point. I do think it's been a fabulous year from him. His best finish is fifth. I'm giving him a B minus. He's 10th in our dirty driving power rankings. He He's having a year. He's having a year. And I think the most important thing that I've heard out of his mouth the whole entire year is that he said this is the most enjoyable F1 season so far, which means that 
to me, he's re-fallen in love with the sport. He feels comfortable. He's in, you know, driver position number one. He's being a support role to Guan Yu. Like, there's so much going for him at Alfa Romeo. It makes me wish that he would have left Merck sooner. I I really wonder if he regrets sticking around there. Uh, knowing how he responds to questions like that, I would probably say that he he would he would agree that like he, his time at Mercedes was like valuable all of it and you know the way it happened was the right way for it to happen i think if anything the benefit of him leaving when he did is that he went to alfa romeo when there was a new car and that has helped alfa it's allowed for him to step into the role in a in a, in a position where he can fight with the big dogs we've seen it I hate that I use that terminology, but I feel like it's the right way of putting it for Valtteri. It's like, he's been up there. He's been in the scrap. And I love that. I love that for him. You know, and, you know, and, the, and on the other side, you have Zhao, who I think considering, I will say before we jump into Zhao, I am annoyed or upset that we don't have another rookie to compare him to because I think a lot of his stats skew against him because not only is he a rookie, but he's also a rookie in a car that Alfa Romeo is trying to figure out. Yeah, I would say, like, considering we were, we all rated him worst at the beginning of this year, and to see that, you know, he came out and scored points on his first race, that he you know, is growing as a driver and is not buckling under the pressure that we've seen some rookies buckle under. I'm interested to see what his contract looks like for next year and, you know, if they'll sign him for more than one year. I did find this really cool website. Forgive me, the name of it is uh, skipping my mind right now, but they have like a closest rival um, to the driver and they listed Lance Stroll as his closest driver. And I feel like that comparison of a rookie to, you know, Stroll who's been in F1 for a lot longer than we all think he has. That was impressive for me to see that they were pitted up against each other in, you know, closest rival. Interesting. I like that. Yeah. I'll, like send that. You, I'll have to it, find it and send it to you. I think it does make sense for that to be his closest rival. You know, compared to like when you look at their qualifying versus race performance, I get it. I'm here for it. We all forget that like Zhao scored points in his first F1 debut race. Like that, I think, was starting the season off on like the right foot. And that really gave him the confidence to be able to be successful. One of the biggest problems overall for Alfa Romeo this year has been the DNFs. They have eight DNFs on record. So the fact that they're sitting in sixth with 51 points, I feel like that's fucking impressive. Eight DNFs, seven of them have been reliability issues. The Ferrari engine is clearly failing them. They've got to get that under the control for the rest of the year. Ferrari needs to get it under control, period, because it's very clear that they have chosen performance over reliability. you got to find that healthy balance. But I think if they can get that under control, they will easily be able to challenge McLaren for fifth place. If McLaren continues to go how they're going. And one off-track note that I just have to mention is Guan Yu is really stepping up the fashion of the paddock. 
He shows up. He's always rocking it. And don't don't even think I'm not going to mention it because Valtteri and the bucket hats, I have an award for him. He is now the king of the bucket hats. I said it. He's coming out with his own. Can't wait to order it. Also still waiting on the Paul Ricard bucket hat. It's happening. The king of all the bucket hats. I honestly think I might order one of those bucket hats for, that Valtteri is putting out. I'm not a bucket hat kind of person. I feel like they make me look weird. I don't know if it's my hair. I think it's my hair or it's my face shape. My face shape and bucket hats don't really go together. But I'm going to do it for Valtteri because I love him. I really – I feel like I like I should be forgiven for being so awful to him because now he's like one of my favorites. But I think that has to do with the fact that he's allowed to have this like persona off track again or for the first time he's coming into his like own in a little bit. I love his relationship with Tiffany because they're always biking. She's she designed the design for the bucket hat. So I just love them. I really like her. I have started following her and I think her career is really impressive. I'm not super into cycling. Ask the intern. I'm not very good on a bike, but I do think she's kind of, for me, she's become a role model or someone I like look to as like inspirational. Yeah, definitely. This podcast is brought to you by Racing Thread, Formula One clothing for any occasion. Their clothing features subtle, evocative, embroidered designs for your favorite F1 moments. From Ricardo's Monza Shoei to Sebastian's Australian scooter ride. From Lewis's Brazilian comeback to Carlando's round of golf. Whether you're out to dinner with friends, watching the race at home, or cheering in the grandstands. Gone are the embarrassing sponsor logos. Instead, Racing Thread is F1 clothing you are comfortable wearing anywhere. Right now, Dirty Driving listeners can get 15% off Racing Thread's entire range of t-shirts, sweatshirts, and polos using the code DIRTYDRIVING. That's Dirty Driving, all capitals, no spaces, for 15% off their entire clothing range. Head over to RacingThread.com to shop F1 Racewear for anywhere. And now that we're on a high, I'm going to take us to our low. Our lowest of our lows this year is going to be discussing McLaren. I've been dreading this moment, this entire recording. So I think I'm just going to be awful and tell Katie to take it away. All right. That's rude, but I'll do it. All right. Let's start with Lando because I feel like Lando's a little easier to talk about than Daniel. So... You know, he's the only driver outside of the top three teams or the top six drivers to score a podium. He took a podium in Emilia Romagna. And, you know, he's taken points in all but three Grand Prix. And so although we're not seeing what we saw last year in the podium consistency, we're still seeing consistency out of him as a driver this year. Would I have loved to see more from him? Absolutely. I feel like this is none of my business and I might get some shit for saying this, but maybe his personal life has distracted him a little bit from racing. I don't know what the reason is, but I just feel like we aren't the Lando that we were last year. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, Megan. 
I agree. I don't know if it's the personal life. It's just the car or the like internal team dynamics that are happening. I think that's probably a bigger factor in this because I'm skipping ahead to Daniel here a little bit, but I think Daniel's been made the team scapegoat for the shit car that they've put out. I don't know if there is some issues with the amount of new drivers that are being brought into the McLaren fold. I don't know if there is this weird situation happening where now he signed this very extended contract. He sold his soul a little bit to like the McLaren agenda. Maybe he, I think he did that a little too soon and it's a fat contract in terms of length. I don't really know, but there seems to be something a little bit off there. I do think that, you know, there have been some highlights for him. I mean, you you mentioned the podium. He is sitting at fifth place or not fifth place, seventh place in our standings. He has 76 points to Daniel Ricardo's 19 points. He's out qualified Daniel 11 of the 13 races. Spain and Canada are the only two where Daniel Ricardo has out qualified him. Danny Rick at both of those was in Q3 and Lando was out in Q2. it's really weird to talk about McLaren. It's a gigantic struggle for me because it's tough to be a fan for them right now. And it's tough to really know what they need to do to get back in it other than figuring out their performance and becoming more consistent. Like that, that's the issues, but it just feels really awful when I genuinely thought that they were going to be like able to fully bring the fight to Alpine. It's weird though, that Alpine is only four points ahead of them in the standings when I feel like Alpine has been outperforming them in general. So I guess really we should be saying McLaren's had a lot of damage limitation thanks to Lando Norris. Yeah. And I think his overall grade this season of a B is very fair. I would agree that he's been above average. Again, not consistency on the podiums, but consistency in general. And, you know, I hate to bring it up again, but after seeing how he was framed and Drive to Survive, I started this season not the biggest fan of Lando Norris. And so that's part of the struggle of being a McLaren fan right now is we've got our diehard Daniel Ricardo who is being mistreated. And then we've got Lando Norris who, you know, we thought was this fun, cool guy that we saw maybe a little of the ego pop out on drive to survive. And then on top of it, they're not doing a great job. So. I will say that I think drive to survive mischaracterized it. They did mischaracterize it, but I do think that he is hungry to be competitive. And that's not a bad thing. That's I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's you need that inner ego to be an F1 driver. I get that. You know, you're that's part of it. But um, I think the other thing that's the, the damage limitation factor of McLaren has been that they have had only one DNF each. So they're sitting at only two for the year. I'm saying that hesitantly because I'm suddenly remembering. No, that's right. They have two DNFs, one each for the year. And so I think that, you know, that's been able to keep them in the fight for fourth, but Alpine definitely is outpacing them quickly. Let's move on to Danny Ricardo. Really, really, 
zippy because I don't really, it makes me sad. I gave him a D plus on this year. This season has been bad. bad. It feels like he's fighting for success, not finding it. The car is clearly not in a place he wants it to be. The team is making him a scapegoat. The team is very clearly made it apparent that his position next year is questionable by offering it to Oscar Piastri. So Danny Rick is essentially out of a seat. Where is he going to end up? There's questions on whether it'll be at Alpine or F formula e i personally at this point i'm like fuck it go to formula e because i think he could be a great formula e driver i don't know if he wants to get rid of the formula one dream i would be okay with him back at alpine i think i have some questions on what's going on internally at alpine but um he seems really chill in the off season so i feel like he has to have a plan that we just don't know about yet because He's just driving around, listening to Matchbox 20 and hiking in Yosemite. He's been in California working on the new Formula One TV show that's going to be the fictional one that'll be on Hulu. But I feel like he's a little too vibey for potentially not having a job next year. Well, and then this morning we got the very cryptic tweet that said, okay, okay. with a bunch of wide eye emojis. So it's like. There's something coming, and I was saying to Megan before we started recording, I just want him to tell us now. I just want him to tell us now. But he hasn't told us. Hopefully he will soon, and our hearts will be full for him no matter you know what he chooses that he thinks is best for himself. Honestly, I'm going to say it now. His jump to Formula E could be the thing that makes Formula E popular because Daniel Ricardo's following, hell, I literally have a picture of his hand on my wall. In the Monza moment. Like, I genuinely believe that that could be, like, Formula E's plan to becoming a bigger thing because the the following will follow the man. We love the man. I also want to point out here is while this season has been trash, I think it is really awful that McLaren is doing what they're doing to him. The demon of the season has been Zach Brown in my mind because he's technically the last – McLaren driver to win a race and I know that stat is kind of like a shitty like one-sided view of what's happened in the last one year and a half but to do him dirty like this when Zach Brown has a Monza tattoo on his body feels just shitty it's all around shitty reading the articles shitty the interviews shitty reading Twitter shitty like everything around Daniel Ricardo and McLaren this year has been shitty and unfair and I'm a little bit like, dude, I really liked Zach Brown and I really looked up to him and I thought he was really cool. But I think maybe he's taken one too many hockey hits to the head and he's starting to act like a little bit greedy. He's stockpiling all the drivers like they could probably have a Formula One race with just all, with 20 McLaren drivers on it. Easy. Easily. Easy. Who would win? If they're all in the same car, Lando Norris or Pato Award. I'm concerned that Piastri is making a bad move. That's a whole different topic, but I'm scared Piastri is making a bad move because he's going to a team with a shit, with a huge roster. Yeah. So if he doesn't perform, could they pull a Red Bull and just be like, and next, thank you, next, thank you, next, as their drivers don't perform in Formula One? I could see it. I could see Zach Brown turning into the next Christian Horner. Is it Christian? Is it Helmet? One of the two. 
Who's one of the They're body, mind, and soul connected to each other at this point. Christian Witchy was body, mind, and soul connected to Max Verstappen. Ew. <laughs> okay. And with that, let's go to our fourth place team, our best of the rest team. Alpine. Alpine. I do think it was interesting. Ready for this? I'm going to start here. I think it was interesting that the fan vote went to Fernando Alonso when Esteban Ocon has more points than him. More points. And I wrote it in my notes. Weirdly, I'm not getting as annoyed by Fernando Alonso this season. I have not sat with that to marinate on it and decide how and why I feel that way. But I'm not as annoyed by him. But Esteban is outperforming Alonso. I don't really know who's outperforming who. Oh, I'm going to say that. Look, I think Fernando Alonso has had glimmers of excellent pace, really fighting in the scrap. Um, But I think in terms of just like overall consistent under the radar, I think they've both kind of been a little consistent under the radar and Esteban Ocon has been just like a little bit less than Alonso. Overall, I think the team itself is putting it as a unit, as a group are putting themselves in a position to be successful. They have eight double points finishes. Amen. That's why they're at the points that they're at. That is it. Absent their DNFs because they have struggled with that. Fernando Alonso has gone out twice. Ocon's gone out once in Great Britain. So I do think that overall the team is putting itself in the position to be successful. I think my biggest thing that came up when thinking and researching Alpine and Esteban is, you know, he took P7, P6, P7 in the first three races, came out strong. He scored at every GP except for three, Imola, Monaco, and Silverstone. I think he is the new most underrated driver on the grid. I used to call Pierre that. I used to never think I would say that about Esteban because I wasn't a big fan of Esteban. But Esty Bestie. Esty Bestie has shown us that he deserves that title this year of the most underrated driver on the grid. I agree with you. I agree. I think that he's also been performing well in races. He's been consistent. I would say that Fernando Alonso has had more of the standout moments, which is why people default to him having the better season. He was P5 in Great Britain. He was in that scrap, that five cars and 20 meters fight at the end. There were some questions on like what happens at the front. Like could, could he end up on the podium? I wouldn't be surprised if he's on the podium this year. At all. I wouldn't be surprised if Esty Bestie was on the podium this year. I, his greatest, like, highest highlight of the year has been the P2 in Canada, which Katie and I were lucky enough to see. Unfortunately, it was followed by some weird interview statements. We already mentioned those cringeworthy icons. But off track, the highlight of the year is basically when he gave the middle finger to Alpine and said, peace out, I'm going to Aston Martin. I'm a little bit worried about that choice. A little bit worried, but... um. It's clear that he wanted more money. He wanted a longer contract from Alpine. And there's got to be something going on there that he's like, I'm dipping out when the performance of Alpine is getting better. And Aston Martin seems to be like waffling. 
Yeah, there's something that we're not reading between the lines there or that we're not privy to. And I I can't put my finger on it. Not at all. They definitely have secured their position ahead of McLaren this year, though, for Alpine and overall. Okay, Megan, for our second break, I have a surprise game for you. Oh, geez. Yes, because you have surprised me this season with one or two games. I figured what perfect timing then to surprise you. Plus, it'll be nice to kind of check to see what everybody's been up to this summer break. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to test your summer break knowledge and see if you know – I'm going to name the activity – and I'm going to see if you know what driver I'm talking about. I gave you a couple easy ones and I gave you a couple harder ones. So we'll just kick it off. Are you ready? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. Number one, DJing with our favorite DJ, Kygo. Who was it? Okay. Well, I feel like it's not Lando because he has matching necklaces with Martin Garrix. Was it Pierre? No, it wasn't Pierre. Pierre has not been around. Is it Lando? Yes. And then they were taking shots. I don't know if you saw that Instagram post by Kygo, but Lando was on no. the DJ. All right, I'll send it to you after this. Okay, N- number two. That's okay. I'll give the- I'll give you that one. That's a point. But did you like me knowing that he has matching necklaces with Martin Garrix? Yeah. It doesn't Max Verstappen have one too? I believe so. Yes, they all have matching. I'll give you a point for that one. He's cheating on Martin Garrix. I know you can't really do that in DJing, but whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> Okay, number two, being a wag for his golf girlfriend. That was Alex Albon, and he's the best wag ever. He had a banana for potassium. Yes, he did. You saw that one. (laughs) I saw that one. Okay, you'll know this one, too, because you mentioned it earlier, but laying by the pool and singing old Matchbox 20. Obviously, Danny Ricardo, and have I listened to that song no less than 20 times since I saw the original Instagram post? It's a bop. I kind of forgot how much I liked it. Oh, Matchbox 20? They slap. They slap. They still slap. Anyway, okay. Now, Daniel Ricardo, want to go to a Matchbox 20 concert with us? Are they touring? I guess this is the real question there. I don't know. <laughs> okay, number four. Who's been hanging out in hammocks? Okay, wait. So, George Russell and Nicholas Latifi have been on vacations with their girlfriends. But I haven't seen a hammock. Was it Fernando Alonso? No. It I was he was in it was Esty Bestie. Esty Bestie's been in a hammock es- and I missed it. Esty Bestie has been in a hammock. I'll send you that picture too. But I, I literally I had to do some process of elimination on that one. I had no <laughs> idea. Okay. Number five. Who was wearing water wings? Max Verstappen in the video. Yeah, I gave that you- was the cute part of the video. That was the cute. That part. was the fun part of the video before I was traumatized. I gave you a few giveaways because you know, <laughs> hey, I'm I'm not up to date on the summer break. <laughs> All right. I feel like if George Russell was shirtless in a hammock, I would know about it. I should have been able to weed him out on uh, that one. I'm well, still really upset about myself. Well, here comes number six, which you've already just guessed. So laying shirtless on the beach in Mallorca. Shirtless, George Russell. Doesn't matter which location he's at. If it's shirtless, it's George Russell. 
I would like to say that the best thing that the summer break has given us is the fan accounts on Instagram where they put shirts on him again or they put lingerie on him. I don't know which is funnier. The lingerie is a bit startling. It's a bit, it's a bit shocking, honestly. Okay, who was competing in a bike race? Valtteri. Valtteri. And in his American Americana shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, and the last one. Who is feeding elephants? Obviously, Lewis Hamilton. Okay. You did well. He is living his best life, best life, exploring Africa. I love that he took his break to, you know, kind of trace his roots and learn more about the continent. I've really, really liked following his Instagram stories because there are things that he's able to do that I'm that I'm pretty sure I will never get the ability to do. Um, but Africa is definitely on like a list of places that I I really want to go sooner rather than later. I. I love the idea of being able to like be around that much nature and get to see animals that I could only imagine to have seen in America in a zoo. And I don't really like zoos because I think it's kind of bad. I prefer to see them out in nature. Yeah. I'm, I hope everyone had a really nice summer break from what I, it seems they've all been partying it up, relaxing, resting. And I just feel like, I'm ready for the action to get back, obviously, but I feel like it's been a good summer break for everybody. What has Lance been up to? Let me check his Instagram real quick. Is he okay? We haven't seen anything from him. He's one that I was like trying to go through the list and see if I, or, you know, who I'd seen and who I hadn't. And the only person I hadn't seen what they were up to is Lance. I don't know, unless Lawrence has him like locked in a simulator in Canada. He hasn't posted since July 24th. Is he well? Should I DM him? I'm going to message him. Hey, all good. (laughs) We need to figure out what that plus 44 world is that I've started following to figure out what Lewis Hamilton is up to. I said, hey, comma, all good, question mark. (laughs) Lance, you okay? All right. And one other piece of this break is that Megan and I got this random idea to give you guys friends episode titles for every race so it's the race which where. is so weird because we don't like I'm friends. Not a huge friends but i like their episode titles i think they're very clever so let's start it off we're gonna start with bahrain the race that gave the tofosi hope <laughs> <laughs> and then we moved on to saudi arabia The race that reminded me I hate Latifi. Accurate. Two races, one weekend. No, two crashes, one weekend. Not pretty. Australia, the midnight race that ruined my weekend. Carlos Sainz, you really just ruined it all. Then we had Imola, the race weekend where Qualies had the most flags ever. Longest Saturday Quali session I've watched. It It was just a lot to get through then we had miami the race where all of america was embarrassed to be american see the earlier break to understand why (laughs) spain was the race where we learned that drones suck she has a giant 
a giant hatred against the drone footage. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's just like motion sickness. It's not giving me anything. And our dad actually just got a new drone. Shout out, Roger. We got pictures of him playing with it this morning. So can't wait to see what drone footage that the Hornsby's can pull together for everyone. I think it's going to make me even more motion Motion sick than the Formula One. Sorry, Dad. Then we have Monaco, the one where Katie slept through or slept in but didn't miss shit. (laughs) (laughs) I wake up. I'm like, oh, shit. I slept in. And Megan's like, you're good. It hasn't started. (laughs) All right. Then we had Baku, the race that took away the Tifosi hope. I think the hope was gone before then. But that race really just like solidified. Solidified. the, The book closed. The season. Not pretty. Canada, the one where the poor man's paddock was born. Then we had Great Britain, the race where we got Latifi into Q3. There's a lot of things that this could be called, but I feel like that one was the most shocking. Huge. One of the most shocking. It could also be like the race where Carlos Sainz won his first. Yeah. Whatever. Um, Austria, the race that Leclerc survived. The fire rolling down the hill. No. Oh, that so- was Carlos Sainz. Oh, sorry. My bad. Charles Leclerc had the 20% throttle issue That's for like right. the last like five laps, and we were all like, oh god. Is he gonna make oh, it? Gosh. Is he gonna, is he gonna right. make it? You're right. I'm sorry. Burning Ferrari. Couldn't remember who that was, but you were right. Okay, and then in France, we had the race that gave us the return of the Merck double podium. Woo! Maybe the, the official return of Mercedes. Could be. And then, we, and then we have Hungary, the race where the team principal had enough. We all know Bonato just said, I can't watch this trash anymore and walked away. <laughs> Okay, let's get into our top three teams. There were some questions on whether or not Mercedes were going to be considered a top team. At one point in the season, I thought we might have put them in the midfield as best of the rest, and we only had two top teams. But here we go. Third in the constructors is Mercedes. The fans voted George Russell, which we agree with. But I am fully convinced by the end of the season, it's going to be a Lewis Hamilton as the fan choice for the season winner. Yeah, right now, George sits just 12 points ahead of Lewis in the battle, but they are separated by two positions. So George is in fourth. Lewis is in sixth. I think overall, they're getting solid grades this season. I'll let Megan share what grade they get. Um And, you know, we've got some good season highlights from both of them. I think when I think about their seasons, I remember most all of the battles that have taken place. And I feel like we didn't see those maybe in, you know, the very beginning of this season. And so to see them back battling and to see, you know, Mr. Consistency, Mr. Saturday, just absolutely raking some points in. I was nervous for them at the beginning of the season. I'm not as nervous anymore. So I've given both of them an A minus. That's what the numbers say. That's what I think that they both deserve for two kinds of reasons. One, 
I'd give George Russell an A minus for his consistency. Other than his DNF in Silverstone, he's been in the top five. Lewis Hamilton, he has battled through all of the experimenting on his car, the shit, you know, P10 in Saudi, P13 in Imola. He's battled through the porpoising, which hit its like awfulness. It's most awful in Baku. I mean, we literally saw Lewis Hamilton holding his back, getting out of the car. He's battled through all of that to be back on a podium, having five podiums in a row. I think I can safely say that Mercedes are leaving or left the first half of the season in a really great place. And I have fully, I fully believe that they're going to start the second half of the season coming out swinging. But in terms of Mercedes, I think the biggest storyline here is that they have been the street sweepers. They have just been coming in like early morning, sweeping up all the debris, like whatever is left over, they're sweeping up. Because anytime the top two teams have failed to convert a race into success, Mercedes has been like, we'll take those points. I'll take that podium give it here, give it here. And that like consistently being there to grab when the top two teams are unreliable or make a mistake is the reason that they are able to challenge Ferrari and be 30 points off of them in the constructors and really be like in a position to take P2 for the year, but also in a position to to take a race win. Easily. I think, you know, Megan and I have talked about this in a couple other episodes that we've put out, but the question that everyone wants to know the answer to is, is Lewis Hamilton going to take a race win this season? Yes. He has to. A, to keep the record going. He is the... A, to keep the record going, and B, because he just has to. Yeah, he's going to. He is the only driver of the top six, you know, the Red Bulls, the Ferraris, the Mercedes, to not have a DNF. That's impressive. He has six podiums for the year. Charles Leclerc has five podiums for the year. It's been a horrible year in terms of like, you know, comparatively for Mercedes. But I think overall they've really kind of pushed through and been able to like street sweep their way into being in P3. Like when you look at it, every time that – the top two teams have failed. Mercedes has been there to get what they can. So, like, let's run through it. Bahrain, Red Bull double DNF. We see Merck's 3-4 with Lewis on the podium. We have Australia, Verstappen and Sainz out. Merck's 3-4, Russell on the podium. Emilia Romagna, Sainz is out. Russell takes P4 after Charles Leclerc's spin. Okay, not bad. Then we have Spain, Leclerc out. Merck's 5-6, Russell advantage. Baku, Double Ferrari DNF, Merck's 3-4, Russell on the podium. Canada, Perez is out, Merck 3-4, Hamilton on the podium. That was also where Charles started at the back of the grid. Austria, Perez and Sainz are out, Merck 3-4, Hamilton on the podium. France, Leclerc out, Merck 2-3, both on the podium. We have Hungary, both on the podium on merit. France and Hungary were the only races where like street sweeping wasn't really, I guess France, I'm going to say France was still kind of a a street sweeping moment, but Hungary, I mean, they fully were on the podium with on merit, not sweeping up what, 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 what crumbs were left over in the top five positions or the top six positions. 
that consistency, that reliability, Total Wolf made it honest. They picked reliability over performance this year. That was a miss, but maybe at the end, that is going to be the differentiator that allows them to be P2 over P3. I got one question for you about Mark Megan. I don't know if you're going to like it. And go for it. Do you think that they will pass Ferrari? So look, I think if the DNF situation continues, yes. In the long term, I think it would be better if they didn't so that they get the additional like wind tunnel time. I also um, I think in terms of Ferrari, it would be really unfortunate to see them drop. I would prefer if we had Ferrari hold their own and be able to have that true three-team fight at the front. They have to get their DNF situation under control, which is a perfect segue into Ferrari, the Scuderia Ferrari, and their short guide on how not to be in a title fight. <laughs> <laughs> is kind of what this season has been. Yeah, I think I'd like to start with Charles and talk about how compared to the last two years, what he's doing this year to me is amazing. And I truly believe he has what it takes to beat Max in the championship fight, not necessarily this year, but maybe next year or the following year. He spent the previous two years scraping for points in the midfield. He's put the Ferrari in spots in qualies that it does not deserve to be, and it has really made him more of a complete driver. I still have reservations on the fact that his temperament and his maturity might not be where they need to be in order to be a championship winner, and his spins at Imola and Paul Ricard remind us that Leclerc is in the same spot that Verstappen was back in 2019 comparatively to like how many years they are have been in Formula One. He's capable of greatness, but it's untamed with these rough edges that doesn't allow for peak performance to become standard. And so like he's impressed me this season. Is he going to win the championship? No. Does he deserve to win the championship? No. I really question whether or not he's ever going to win a championship. I fully believe that Sainz will win one before Charles Leclerc, which is probably a hot and dirty take. Might but be. I, look, the reason I say that is because I know that both of them had their mistakes throughout the year. I think the biggest issue is that Leclerc understood the car and is now just making mistakes. The one man crash in France, the Imola spin because he got too greedy Carlos Sainz, yeah, he's made some mistakes. I fully am aware of that. Um, but I think that maybe he has a little bit more of the calm, cool, collected attitude. You don't, you know, Leclerc cracks under pressure. He screams no on the radio. Not that I'm saying that that's like an indicator of your maturity or your, I just feel like to be able to be in the title fight, you need to ha be able to, to take the pressure and and really, like, manage it. Leclerc has more pulls, and he can't convert pull to a victory consistently. I think that 
compared to Carlos Sainz, like I get it's just one indication he converted his maiden pole to a victory. I mean, we don't have enough to compare the two of them, but overall, I think Charles Leclerc has an issue with holding on to a lead that he starts the race with. And I don't know if that's a function of him cracking under pressure or him and Ferrari lacking the the strategy wherewithal. Yeah, part of me would love to see him on another team just for like five races. I wish there was like some weird swap program where the, there were trades mid-season and trades back. Well, I think it would allow us to really understand if it's him making blunders all the time or it's Ferrari strategy. I think a lot of it has to do with Ferrari strategy. And my biggest concern with Ferrari is that they're failing to admit that it's a problem. Carlos Sainz and Manon and Bonato have both failed to acknowledge that strategy calls are their Achilles heel this year. And I'm sorry if you don't believe that I, you just need to look at hungry, just go back and watch hungry, hungry and realize that if Ferrari had looked down the pit, looked at the timing sheets, looked at the tires, they would have noticed that Alpine was on hards and those were not performing. So the fact that they put him on hards when Charles said he was happy on the mediums. They're not communicating. They're not listening to each other. And they are not admitting that they have a problem. And you can't fix a problem until you admit that you have a problem. So Bonato, your lack of admitting it is a problem is in fact now a different problem. Charles Leclerc says it. He thinks it's a disaster. He said, obviously, everyone will remember the last part of the race where it was a disaster for me, especially with the hards. Just admit it. Get a different strategist and move on. And move on. The other other thing that we do have to mention before we jump to Red Bull is that the DNFs have really been hurting Ferrari, and that's just points out the window. Um, Charles Leclerc has three DNFs, and Carlos Sainz has four, so a total of seven for the team. Leclerc has been – he just – these DNFs just put him out of the title fight, like full stop when you look at the actual points and really the DNFs are denying the Tafasi the ability to like support their team in a title fight. So in terms of DNFs, here are the points that they have lost that have just put them out of title fight contention, full stop without looking at, you know, drivers, blunder strategy calls. It's the DNFs that have put them out of contention. We have Australia. Carlos Sainz was in P4. He lost 12 points there. Because of a DNF. Imola, Danny Ricardo pushes signs into the gravel. Another P4, another podium, maybe. That's another 12 points lost. Spain, Charles Leclerc was running in P1, 25 points lost when he went out. Baku, double DNF. 25 points lost for Charles Leclerc, who was fighting for a win. I think P3 was probably possible for signs. So that's 15 points, 40 points lost in Baku. Spain, I mean, not Spain, already did that. France, Charles Leclerc, one-man crash, 25 points gone. He was running in first place. Austria, potential podium for science, 15 points lost. So overall, they've lost 139 points on DNFs. Not bad strategy calls. They're part of, like, DNFs are integral to the sport. Like, we always know that they're going to be a factor. But they have literally put both Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, and Ferrari out of the fight with Red Bull, who is most likely going to easily snatch both of the championships. 
And Katie, I'm going to let you take off, take on Red Bull because, you know, they're not my favorite. Which brings us to Red Bull, our number one team this year with our number one driver this year. They've got 431 total points with Max Verstappen in first place and Sergio Perez in third. Some season stats from our current and reigning world champion. I hate saying that. Sorry, Megan. He's currently 80 points ahead of Charles Leclerc. He has won both the sprint races and has taken eight total GP wins this year. He's had three pole positions. So again, going back to Megan's comment where Charles isn't always the best at converting pole positions over to wins, but Max Verstappen sure knows how to make a win happen. And, you know, my big season highlight for Checo was his Monaco win and maybe the radio message where he said that seems unfair, but okay. Uh, so I'd say as a team, are they deserving of where they need to be right now and where they are? Yes, for sure. They have put in the work and they are proving time after time, weekend after weekend that they are there to compete. Look, I feel like the best thing I can say about them that perfectly sums up Red Bull is they have put themselves in a position going into the summer break where a championship for both championships are kind of a, well, duh. If they fuck them off, then that's a massive disgrace. I don't expect it to happen, but it would be awful. Like they're in solid, solid position for both of them. And I really did not think this was going to happen. After the first race in Bahrain where we had the Ferrari – one, two, and the Red Bull DNF, I was like, shit, this is going to be a title fight that's going to go throughout the year. I really thought we were going to be going into the midseason with Charles and Max, like 10, 15, 20 points separated between the two of them. And that's just not the reality of the situation. They would be running away with it if they hadn't had their four DNFs for reliability, Verstappen, Bahrain in Australia, Perez, Bahrain in Canada. Ultimately, I think it does factor in that they've had two less DNFs than Ferrari, but full send, the racecraft has been good for both of them. And their ability to stay strong under pressure has been great. I think that Helmet Marco and, and um, Christian Horner have really found the, the best duo for their means. It does really piss me off that Helmet Marco is saying that Max Verstappen is the best driver they've ever had. Like, Sorry. Let's all remember Sebastian Vettel. Let's remember the four-time world champion who won four world champions four years in a row who brought Red Bull. Really, their name in Formula One. I think it's pretty shitty that they're just – that Helmet Marco is doing that. But, you know, we, we've already talked about it. He loves his Max Verstappen. Something that I'm hesitant to bring up, but I feel like we've got to discuss it as it has kind of been the talk of the beginning half of this season, especially when we saw Charles and Max battling a little bit more frequently, is the racing style of Max and Charles battling versus the racing style of Max and Lewis battling. I have two thoughts on this. First off, I think that Charles and Max have been racing each other since they were kids. So it's a little bit different. I also think it's also 
very different because last year Max was hungry for his first championship. He was hungry to prove it. Red Bull wanted him to have it years ago. Years. And so I think him, he was so desperate for it last year. So desperate for it that he was pushing the limits where he shouldn't have been. I also fully believe that I I just don't think that he has as much respect for Lewis Hamilton as he should. And Lewis's ability to be a successful driver, whereas he has a much greater respect for Charles Leclerc. I don't know why, but basically I believe that because, you know, if you listen to the interviews from last year, if you listen compared to the interviews with this year, he has a lot of respect for how Charles is fighting the championship and he doesn't have that same level of respect for Lewis or he didn't have it last year. Um, I don't know where that comes from. I'm not speculating. I'm just saying that there is like a different level of respect. And it's been quite more enjoyable to watch the battles this year than it was to watch last year. And I think that has kind of been my biggest takeaway from it is when Max isn't in this, I have to win, I have to win, I have to win attitude. We actually see great, respectful driving. I also think that last year I was worried that someone was going to get pushed into the barriers. I'm not really concerned that that's going to happen between Max and Charles. No. And that's unfortunate. It would have been great if we had had this level of racing last year. And that I think that's kind of contingent on the fact that we were all freaking out every time that they went wheel to wheel that they were going to touch. So I don't know. Full send. I'm, fully aware that Red Bull is probably going to win both of them, which they deserve. So I can be happy for them and I can be happy for Checo. And that is it. That is our quick, not so quick rundown of all 10 teams and where we kind of stand heading into the break and out of the break is that is what's happening uh, this week. Thank gosh. Thank God we're getting Belgium. I don't know if I, uh. (laughs) I say that and I'm like, uh, has anyone checked the weather? (laughs) Everyone needs to start manifesting a great race back. If we haven't already been manifesting it. Absolutely. Katie, let's jump to our rapid fire questions. All right. What midfield team will win a race? Mercedes. I know they're not a midfield team, but they were at one point. So I'm going to say Mercedes, potentially Alpine. What about you? You know, this one might be a wild ball, but it's rapid fire, so you can't get upset with me. But I would love to see Valtteri win. So Alfa Romeo, I know, I know, I know, I know. But how cool would it be to see him win this year? Utter chaos, I'm here for it. Utter chaos. Favorite driver? I really liked George Russell this year, but I would also say – George Russell. I'm going George Russell. I am going 
Cop out, Lewis Hamilton. Sorry. God, we both picked Mercedes drivers. I think because I want them, like, I like the fight for them to be. I like them I like, pushing to be in the top three. I, I think it's a. I think it's interesting to watch. Yeah, I like having to watch them work for it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, favorite or sorry, excuse me, standout driver of this year. Valtteri. I'm going or K Mag. Okay, I'm going SD Bestie. Got it. Cool. Okay, favorite race. Great British race off. Okay, awesome. Mine was Hungary. I'll tell you why, because people are probably like, why Hungary? Love a comeback. It was not a Lewis Hamilton Brazil 2021, but it was a Max Verstappen P10 to P1, which we love a good comeback. So fair enough. It was also a really interesting race to watch. Just like I, I th- for kind of the same reason that Britain was too. There's a lot of like strategy questions. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? When are they going to happen? What happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? So dishonorable mention, Zach. Brown, you know why I already went through it, but he's fucking about and I don't like it. All right. And before we let you guys go today, we've got a couple more things to cover. One of them is all of the silly season drama. So I'm going to give everyone a quick rundown of what has happened thus far, where we're at now, and what we're waiting on to hear about. So On Wednesday, July 27th, Sebastian Vettel broke Instagram and joined Instagram. The very next day on Thursday, July 28th, Sebastian Vettel announces his retirement after this year. So one seat at Aston Martin is available. Who's going to take it? Well, Sunday, July 31st, Alpine fails to get a reserve driver, Oscar Piastri, for a seat next year. They... Had until the 31st before he became a free agent and signed with other teams while maintaining this reserve driver role. So they failed to do that. On Monday, August 1st, Alonzo announced for the first time to everyone, including his team principal, that he will be driving for Aston Martin next year. So gave no point. Good. Excuse me. Gave no warning to Alpine and they found out in the press release. Bringing us to Tuesday, August 2nd, a day which will live in silly season infamy because in the morning, Atmar says he's talked to the Piastri camp and says that they're considering other options. Atmar's response is, you know, whatever that means. He throws some shade at Alonzo that he's partying it up in Greece and stuck on a boat. Roddy, dotty, dotty, dot. Around noontime, Alpine announces Piastri as a driver for next year. Everyone posts about it, F1, the FIA, ESPN, F1, Dirty Driving even posted about it. We thought it was happening. No, it it didn't happen because in that afternoon, Piastri posted that he has never signed a contract with Alpine and will not be driving for them next year. Could have been the best career move of his life, could have been the worst career move of his life. We'll find out. We will find out. (laughs) We will find out because rumors are spreading that Piastri now may be taking Daniel Ricciardo's spot at McLaren, and we don't know where Daniel would go other than Daniel has asked for about $21 million to buy the contract out. Again, we are not sure what is happening, but we do know that McLaren told Ricciardo that they plan to replace him. 
which is just, again, Zach Brown, shitty. So a couple spots that have not been spoken about. Both Alphataris will end their contracts at the end of this year. Lance will also end his contract at the end of this year. I'm not too worried about him. Latifi, we are still awaiting his future, so a spot at Williams could open up if they do not re-sign him. Guan Yu's contract ends at the end of 2022, and Mick's contract also ends at the end of 2022. So there's still plenty of silly season yet to come. I'm sure this next week will be the silliest it has ever been. And hopefully the drama keeps us nice and entertained until we get some racing this weekend. So it's been a year. 2022 has been a year. We have gotten cars that some would say are more aesthetically pleasing. We've gotten some cars that are parroting each other. Or at least we thought we they were parroting each other. Green Red Bull, remember everyone? Turns out Aston Martin had that design in the wind tunnel long before the season even began. So they were fine. They were in trouble. But the green Red Bull moment was was iconic. We got the right the white Ferrari. Not really any copying issues there. They've got a relationship with Ferrari. Does call into question a little bit of that B team mentality. But it's pretty. I like the cars. It's unfortunate that the sexiest car on the grid isn't the fastest car on the grid. I do like that Mercedes went to silver. But really the black was hot. Black was hot. I'd love to see a matte black. The Ferrari has grown on me. Still don't love, love the color. It seems like there's something just, it's like not dark enough or it's not bright enough at points. I don't know. It's weird. Nonetheless, the cars are just overall more aesthetically pleasing on the year. We've also been seeing a lot closer racing, especially at tracks where it's been like hard to overtake historically. We've seen that we still get that. We, we get more excitement from them. We get the ability for cars to follow, the ability for cars to overtake, even when DRS isn't available. So it's been exciting. I think we've we've had a lot, a lot of great moments, a lot of great overtakes on the year. Um, I don't know. It just I, – I think that the, the, the British Grand Prix really showed to me, like, what these regulations can provide us. You know, five cars and 20 meters of one another all scrapping for – who's going to come out on top was exciting, was fun to watch. You know, at one corner, this person's leading at the next corner, that person's leading at that corner. One driver's gone off and Lewis Hamilton is sneak past too. Like that level of engagement and engaging racing has been really fun to watch. So I'm really thankful that I'm really thankful for the 22 regulations for that. Not really thankful for the party at a rock concert vibes. (laughs) Going into the end of this year, we do have um, the new regulations around porpoising. The technical directive is taking place or taking effect for the Belgian Grand Prix. So tune into the Belgian race recap where we dive into that. But beyond 2022, we have some 2023 changes that have come been approved. Come in, they haven't come into effect. They've been approved by the council for next year in terms of porpoising the 2023 changes include floor edges being raised to by 15 millimeters we have the diffuser throat height and the diffuser edge stiffness the height being raised to stiffness being increased and we also have an additional sensor being added to monitor the porpoising phenomenon additionally we have some changes around safety standards with the roll hoop as a 
response to everything that happened with Guan Yu Zhao's car going upside down at the British Grand Prix. So the round top is going to be required on the roll hoop to avoid the pointed top from digging into the ground during an accident. There's also some additional changes, including um, most importantly, kind of standardizing the functionality, not the functionality, the build of the roll hoop. So that's good. We always like when the FIA moves in the right in the right direction in terms of safety standards. Additionally, for 2023, they have confirmed the new engine regulations. They kind of have four, they've given us like four pillars that they're working with. I'm going to call them pillars. They don't call them that, but it seems like four areas pillars. The first one is to maintain the spectacle. They're going to keep the V6 internal combustion engines. However, we're going to lose the MGUH. Then we've got environmental sustainability. They've increased the deployment of electrical power up to 50%. And we're going to have 100% sustainable fuel going into 2026. They've also continued the path towards financial sustainability. They've allocated more money to be used to power unit development, but are sticking to the budget caps that will continue to get smaller and smaller to equalize between the teams. And finally, the last thing that they're working on is attracting new power unit manufacturers, which we definitely could see something going on there as we have Porsche getting involved. We have Red Bull powertrains. What are they going to do with that? Is it going to is Porsche going to get involved there? I would love to see another engine manufacturer in so that, you know, there's a little bit more difference in terms of the teams and which engines they have. So quickly, that was just a short look at what has been approved and what we're going to see in 2023. I think there's going to be a lot more discussion about that as we get towards the end of this year in terms of porpoising and over the course of the next couple of years leading into um, the new power units. So you might be wondering what is to come for the rest of this season. Well, we've got nine more races left in the 2022 championship competition, battle, series, to see who takes home the grand prize. We're also awaiting the 2023 schedule announcement to see which tracks we are losing, which tracks we are gaining, and if we are going to make any more sense of how we travel across the globe for this sport. Like I mentioned, silly season will continue. We'll figure out hopefully where Ricardo's going. Fingers crossed it's this week. I cannot wait much longer. And Megan and I will be headed to Austin in October. So tons of on-site content coming your way in the second half of the season. Next up, we have the Belgian Grand Prix. We have the return of racing. Fingers crossed we don't have another spa in spa. We head to the Circuit de Spa French Corps, the longest circuit on the calendar at 7.004 kilometers and 44 laps. Last year, we saw a Verstappen pole that converted into a race over one lap behind a safety car, which resulted in half points being awarded with George Russell taking his maiden podium in P2, followed up by Lewis Hamilton in P3. Still loving that that happened, and then they immediately changed the rules about half points. I love it because 0.5s are so fucking annoying. This year, we go to the circuit and we potentially say goodbye to the circuit, as it will most likely not be on the calendar next year. 
we're I'm very excited. We're very excited for the racing this weekend as you know, we're going to see the 2022 cars on the track for one year and then go away. So it's kind of like a one-off fun experience in a sense. Currently on the grid, there are four drivers who have won at the circuit. Lewis Hamilton has won four times. Sebastian Vettel has won three times. Verstappen kind of last year in 2021 and Charles Leclerc in 2019. So it'll be exciting to see who is going to take a victory this year. Will it be Verstappen? Will it be Leclerc? Or will this be the Hamilton win we've been waiting for? Catch up with us next week for the race recap. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us at Dirty Driving Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, stay dirty.